As you may have heard, I'm launching my own supplement line, Adapt Naturals, in July. We're starting with a daily stack of five products called the Core Plus Bundle to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Here's a sneak peek of the products in the Core Plus Bundle. The first is BioAvail Multi. This is a multivitamin mineral phytonutrient blend designed to mimic nutrient intakes of an optimal ancestral diet. The second is BioVail Organ, which is a blend of five freeze-dried organs, liver, heart, pancreas, kidney, and spleen, from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished New Zealand cows to give you a convenient way of getting the benefits of nose-to-tail eating. The third is BioVail Mag, a highly bioavailable buffered chelate form of magnesium for optimal absorption. The fourth is BioVail Myco, a blend of eight mushrooms, reishi, chaga, turkey tail, lion's mane, shiitake, maitake, agaricus, and cordyceps to support immune, metabolic, cardiovascular, and brain health. And then the fifth is BioVail E+. This is a unique vitamin E supplement with 100% delta and gamma tocotrienols to promote cellular function and support a healthy inflammatory response. I'm so excited about this bundle and I can't wait to get it into your hands. I've been taking it myself for the past few weeks and it's been a game changer. I have more energy, better sleep, improved performance and recovery, a sharper mind, and I just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. I'll be sharing more information about Adapt Naturals in the Core Plus bundle in the following weeks and we'll be launching sometime in July. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. This week, I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Christopher Hobbs as my guest. Dr. Hobbs is a fourth-generation, internationally renowned herbalist and mycologist, and he earned his PhD at UC Berkeley with research and publication in evolutionary biology, biogeography, phylogenetics, plant chemistry, and ethnobotany, and he's now on the faculty at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I first encountered Dr. Hobbs many years ago when I was studying Chinese medicine in the Bay Area, and I attended a talk that he gave on mushrooms and the medicinal use of culinary and edible mushrooms and also on psilocybin. So he's been one of the foremost experts on the health benefits of mushrooms for several decades now. He's been foraging for mushrooms and and cultivating mushrooms and using mushrooms to make medicines since the late 1970s. So he has almost 50 years of experience in this field. And as I mentioned, he comes from a family of herbalists and traditional medicine practitioners. So this is really kind of in his blood. He is a true expert and a wealth of knowledge on this really exciting topic of mushrooms and how we can use mushrooms to improve our health. So we talk about Dr. Hobbs's history as a mycologist. We talk about the nutritional and health benefits of mushrooms, particularly their role as prebiotic and the impact that they can have on our gut microbiota. We talk about uh, beta-glucan, a special type of soluble fiber that is present in mushrooms and, and the research on the immunomodulatory effects of beta-glucan. We talk about the phenolic compounds and terpenes that are present in mushrooms. Uh, you may have heard of terpenes in recent discussions of the benefits of medical cannabis and also in essential oils. These are 
uh, quite powerful compounds that are being studied in a variety of different contexts, and, and they have some exciting potential health benefits. We talk about how to get started with foraging for mushrooms and do that in a safe way, and many other topics. This was one of my favorite podcast conversations because I'm so fascinated personally with the health benefits of mushrooms, and uh, Dr. Hobbs is one of the best people in the world to talk about this subject with. So hope you enjoy the show. Let's dive in. Dr. Hobbs, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've really been looking forward to this. Yes, uh, Chris, thank you. Thank, thank you. Glad to be here. All right, so let's just dive right in. I have been familiar with mushrooms. I think we both share in common a background in, in Chinese medicine. And uh, of course, uh, mushrooms have a long history of use in Chinese medicine, perhaps uh, mentioned in the oldest medical textbook. Uh, and in many other traditional forms of medicine as well. But what got you interested in mushrooms in the first place? Well, um, my dad was a professor of botany and his dad was a professor of botany. So I'm kind of a third generation botany uh, person, but they didn't dabble in fungi too much. But, uh, and then, uh, you know, I kind of, I, because I'm in the woods a lot, I liked being in the woods a lot. So naturally you're going to, eventually start stumbling over the mushrooms and wonder right. well, what are these uh, strange creatures and uh, then in 1977 i saw a notice for the mushroom i, I guess it was the first or second uh, mushroom conference that paul stamets did on orcas island and uh, this literally was in 77 and Wow. And uh, I just decided to go on a whim. A couple of friends of mine were going. They invited me. So I said, OK, why not? So I went and Dr. Guzman was there, the world's leading researcher on psilocybin. And Dr. Smith, who wrote all the old field guides in the 50s and 60s and 70s, I guess, and uh, university professor, well known, and a number of other really uh, hot uh, mushroom uh, identifiers and, and researchers and hunters. And, and so we had a great time. It was really one of the best conferences I ever had. And, and, uh, so that really got me going like a rocket ship and wanted to know more. And so from then on, it's just like, I took off on mushrooms and never, my interest never flagged really year after year after year. And at that point, initially, were you mostly interested in them for their health uses or just kind of as a as a third generation botanist or uh, an, an avid nature enthusiast or kind of all of the above? All of the above. But um, I've always had this central uh, question in my mind since I was very young, and that is, why do some people get sick and some people stay healthy? And what causes that? And even as a young child, I was interested in that. I, I think probably why is that some something came through my grandmother. My grandmother was a was a community herbalist, and my great grandmother were community herbalists on my mom's side. It, it skipped with her. She was a concert pianist and artist, but uh, definitely my grandmother's notes and notebooks. And she was a community herbalist in Pasadena, California and had an herb garden and, and went down into Chinatown in LA on the, on the red line and studied Chinese medicine. And this is back, you know, in the twenties. Wow. So early twenties. 
So, uh, and I never met her because she died before I was born, but my mom told me about her and used to tell me a lot of stories about her. And uh, so I, I, and I think I have a spiritual kind of connection with her. I could, I've always been really keen on, on music and piano and she studied in Paris. And so she's been kind of my connection with my ancestors, uh, my grandmother. And uh, so I, so bringing that, that lifelong interest in, in health and disease to, uh, you know, nature, then that got me interested in herbalism. And then eventually uh, in 1985, 1986, something like that, I came up with the idea of, well, mushrooms must be healing too. And then I, you know, at that point I hadn't studied Chinese medicine. Uh, and so I started looking in the world literature. I was an avid researcher at the University of California, Santa Cruz, because I lived in Santa Cruz at the time for many years. And uh, so I'd always go into the science library and I'd be digging, trying to dig out stuff. And, and I, I found out, yeah, mushrooms are, do have uh, healing properties and they are used in other cultures. So then I did some research and I came out with my first little pamphlet, Medicinal Mushrooms, in about, I don't know, 1988 or something like that. And then the second edition, 1995, and now my new edition, uh, which is 2021. So right. I, I kind of put it together, and it's I, I have to benefit my ancestors, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite a lineage of ancestors in plant medicine world and who've in, inspired you and um, yes. maybe motivated you to continue this work. So you know, you mentioned the health benefits of mushrooms, and that's something I'm particularly interested in as well, although fungi are so amazing <laughs> in, in so many different ways and can, you know, I know Paul Stamets has written a lot about their potential for, you know, supporting the environment and the, the um, even cleaning up toxic waste and, and so many other properties. But um, in this episode, I'd, I'd love to, to dive into the health benefits a little further since, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are um, interested in that. And I've read your book. I loved it. I actually saw you speak in the Bay Area many years ago when I was studying Chinese medicine. This is more than 20 years ago now, I think, or uh, yeah. 15 years ago. <laughs> um, and I've, be I've been fascinated with the, the healing benefits of mushrooms, you know, since I was a student in uh, Chinese medicine and, and um, even a bit before that. So from your perspective, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, what do mushrooms have to offer, you know, from, from a health perspective and why should people be eating or consuming mushrooms in, in other ways um, today, you know, in the, in the modern world? Well, it's um, after teaching workshops and writing about it for so many years, I, I kind of simplified it down to the, what I consider the most crucial uh, and, and healthful parts of the medicine that mushrooms are offering. Certainly, I, I can name them off pretty easily. Uh, and quickly, number one, I mean, just just um, get, getting to know our forest better. And, and there's a long tradition of going out in the forest and hunting mushrooms and and learning about them as a family, for instance, and uh, many, many cultures throughout the world. That's a big deal for them to go out on a weekend and spend the day hunting mushrooms. 
for, for, and find some porcini and the kids get all excited and everything. I certainly took my son out. So forest therapy is a real thing. The trees are really exuding so much terpenes and phenolics out there. Uh, and when we're in the forest, we get, you know, the serenity, the, the beauty of the, the sound of the wind in the trees, all of that is so healing, but they're also pumping out all these chemicals too, which are relaxing and calming us. The, these terpenes have a lot of calming properties on the nervous system. So uh, we're getting that medicine from the forest. And then we, we just, it's so important for us to make a connection with the natural world and the forest because so many live in cities and so many just don't understand what we're losing when the forests are being cut down and burned. Uh, so, so I think that's number one, because we all know very well that the, the health of the planet and our environment and our community is going to directly affect our health. So, so really, we have to look at a wider scale of how vital it is to maintain and, and help support the natural processes and web of our world and not pollute so much. So yeah. we, we have to look at how we're polluting this world. I'd love to linger on that a little bit because I think it's such an important um, point. And especially now in the modern world, as we get more and more connected to digital devices and people are spending more and more time on those devices and feeling less and less connected to the natural world. And, and yet, as you pointed out, that's really, you know, built into our DNA. Like we, we evolved in a natural environment and, and we don't even really know what the long-term implications are of a life that is spent completely divorced from the natural world as many people are today. But, you know, I, I come across studies almost every week about the impact that being in the wilderness or in green, spending a lot of time in green space has on our, our health and well-being, and it's it's profound. It's not a small effect, and I'm sure you've heard of Richard Louv's work. Nature deficit disorder uh, is is a term now that you know I think is is legitimate, and is you know there's a lot of evidence to back it up, and I think a lot of people are suffering from that. Well, very much so. I go backpacking myself to the wilderness every year. And so I, I know what you're saying. Uh, just getting out in the wilderness away from every plane, every, you know, everything. And I was just recently in uh, West Virginia. And uh, boy, it's just mile after mile after mile of just gorgeous green leafy forests and a few meadows here and there. But we were up high. I was staying at a place cabin that was way, way up high. And you could see for miles and miles. And there was just no sign of habitation anywhere. And and the sound was just at night was dead quiet and dark and the stars were out. And it, it was really quite refreshing and healing. So I, I know what you're saying. Nature is is so important. And so just the fact that mushrooms are out there in the forest and uh, and they're part part of the in fact they're an integral part of the forest. The forest couldn't really exist without them. Right. Uh, so so the, the when you say forest that's a system. It's not just a bunch of trees, you know, plant, planted in a plantation or something. A forest is, you know, and that's, you know, there's so many, so many parts to it. There's so, the insects and the, and the beetles and which interact with the trees and, and, and the plants that, and other, and other organisms that, that to feed on the, and use the carbon that fungi break down 
when the tree recycles and dies and also takes the, the wick and the sick and weak ones out. Uh, so fungi are just a, an integral part of what we call the forest. So that's probably number one, I would think, is that just how important nature, the natural world is, like you say, the forest. We, we, we have to understand our forest, protect our forests. These are our legacy. These are so many creatures on planet Earth depend on, on the forest being healthy. So that's, that's our responsibility. Yes, uh, agreed. And that's number the- two, I'd say there are a number of parts to fungi as, as medicine. And number two is, and so you could say that they have chemicals in them, they have active constituents. If we ingest them, that's, a t- that's one typical way of looking at the, what we're getting out of mushrooms are the active constituents. It turns out that, that there's something even more and fundamentally important than that, and, and that is mushrooms as food medicine. So what I call food medicine. And so, uh, and this is a very important concept that we have to talk about more, we have to teach about it more, is that food is, is medicine. And, and we eat so much food every day. If you think about how much food we're ingesting, well, okay, how much of that food is, if, if we, you know, if someone said, I wanna be healthier, I wanna, I wanna, or if they have a lot of chronic illnesses, they might say, I want to be healthy. I'm not healthy. I feel sick. Um, and what's the one thing I can do to be healthier? Well, the one thing you can do is, is really redefine what medicine is. Medicine is not the pills. It's not the chemicals. Medicine is so much more than that. But in this case, as a fungi, the medicine is the totality of, of the fungi. Of course, in the forest, that's part of the medicine that we discussed first. But Secondly, the medicine is, is the food that we can eat, that we eat so much food every day I mentioned, but we could start incorporating more mushrooms into our diet and less animal products. Because animal products are, first of all, so inefficient as far as creating protein and nutrition, vitamins, minerals, and, and so forth. Uh, they're, they're so inefficient, it takes so much land. Uh, number two, of course, there's the emissions, there's the... the um, uh, methane gas that comes out of cows and other livestock. There's the chemicals, the feeds, and so forth. So it's it's not the most healthful way for our planet or our bodies. And because we're con- consuming so much food every day, we want to make that food count. We want, we, and I think it's important to keep a journal even and say how much of the food that I'm eating are empty calories and and low nutrient food high, low nutrient, high calorie foods. Study after study shows that if we can lower our calories and, and, and keep our calories in a narrow kind of band, not, not eat too many calories, then we're going to live longer. That's probably the single uh, most powerful way that we can extend our lives and have less illness. Yeah, well, it's about 60% now of the calories that the average American consumes come from ultra processed and refined foods that are, like you said, devoid of nutrients and, and full of, you know, lots of ingredients that we don't want to put in our bodies. So when you think of mushrooms and their nutritional value and medicinal value, there's, there's several uh, things to consider. There's just the, 
the mineral content, which you know, as you pointed out in your book, some uh, many mushrooms are just really high in uh, minerals and other essential compounds, nutrients. Then there are the phenolic compounds, terpenes you, you, you mentioned earlier in the context of the forest discussion, which I want to come back to and discuss in more detail, because I think now, thanks to cannabis and essential oils being more common out there, people are starting to become aware of terpenes and their medicinal effects. And then there are things like the, the beta-glucan, the soluble fibers that are present in mushrooms that are being intensively studied for a whole range of, of beneficial effects, particularly around activation of the immune system. So I would love to dive into those kind of components of, of, of mushrooms, if that makes sense, and if there's anything I missed in, in terms of general categories of the, the benefits of mushrooms. Well, the... I was kind of, you know, circuitously getting to the main, you know, as far as number one environment number and forest, number two, food medicine. And, and if you were to take the most important part of that is fiber. So you mentioned terpenes and phenolics, and those are small molecular weight compounds, but mushrooms have an abundance of cell walls because, uh, the, you know, both fruiting bodies and mycelium are made up of these of these fine threads, uh, strings of cells, which have a pretty thick and tough coating, the cell wall of, of the fungi. And the cell wall is composed of proteins and it's composed of chitin, which is a very hard polymer. And then thirdly, it's, it's composed of the beta-glucan. So, and a few other things, but those are the three main polymers. It turns out the two of them, the chitin and the beta-glucan, fungal beta-glucan, now, glucan is simply a glucose polymer, so it's a it's a string of long, uh, it's a long string of glucose molecules, which are you know one of the main sugars. So, uh, beta glucans are important. Yes, that that's one of the most important parts of the medicinal qualities of, of mushrooms. But but the chitin and the and the cell wall and is also very very important. So. My point being is that all mushroom cell walls are full of soluble and insoluble fiber, which form an incredible prebiotic. And so when we eat more mushrooms, we're getting these we're probably getting the best prebiotics available out there. There's more uh, soluble and insoluble fiber in mushrooms than any vegetable. Up in, in turkey tail, for instance, where did I put my turkey tails? Here's the turkey tails. Yeah. And it's, they even revere it so much in China that they box it up here and sell you a whole box of turkey tail fruiting body. But even the fruiting body is made up of mycelium. So, so a mushroom like turkey tail is, is up to 60% beta-glucans, but even around maybe 90% soluble and insoluble fiber. There's no other food out there that has that much usable prebiotic fiber. And not even close, no. Not even close. And so, and there's been some new studies, which I've been uh, talking about lately, which I'm so excited about, is that, you know, we see more and more studies investigating our, our microbiome and how it plays a role in our health. Uh, you know, digestion, nutrition, by tweaking and, and activating and regulating our immune response uh, body-wide. So it's so crucial to many parts of our body's health and function. 
but recently they've been they've shown that it can actually affect our mood and and cognition and that's when it starts getting really interesting so it turns out that there's a new study that shows that when people ate a lot of mushroom prebiotic fiber in their diet then they had much higher microbiome diversity yeah many more species and many of the new studies show that species diversity in our microbiome is the number one factor as to how the health benefit we're going to get health benefits from our microbiome such an important point i had uh Dr. Justin Sonnenberg from Stanford on the show a couple of years ago. He's written, he, he's a microbiologist, studies the microbiome. And, how, you know, most of the show was talking about the importance of microbial diversity and how eating a, a broad range of different types of what he calls microbiota accessible carbohydrates, which is a, a, a fancy way of, of talking about fiber that can be fermented by gut bacteria versus some fibers which can't can't be fermented and are you know still play other important roles but are not as useful in terms of promoting bacterial diversity exactly it's and uh, so that's why fungal um, fiber is so good because it's not a d digestible in our upper gi tract. right so a lot of it ends up getting down into our lower tract where the microbes can work on it and and one quick sidebar on that if you're if you're a big oats fan like I am, I'm a, I'm a massive oats fan. I have oats every day. There's so much research, and oats contain beta glucan too. Oats are such are one of the most healthy foods out there. And but if you cook, you know, here's a couple of facts. First of all, all oats are cooked are pre cooked. So if you buy some oatmeal or you buy oat groats or steel cut oats, and then and then just pour some say. Uh, almond milk on it or something and, and let it soak and and soften up and then put fruit on it and eat it that and thinking you're getting raw oats you're not getting raw oats those are already cooked there are raw oats available out there oat groats and it, and then if you take those pre-cooked oats and then cook them again you know by making oat porridge or, or a bowl of oatmeal all those all those um, complex fibers are getting broken down and then they're highly absorbable in our upper GI tract. So you're not getting nearly the full benefit of the oats uh, if you're going to buy pre-cooked oats or if you're going to cook your double cook your oats. That's just a quick sidebar there. I think the fiber question is one that's gotten, like you said, a lot more in attention recently. And you know, I've been talking about it for years, and even telling patients. When you put a bite, when you're choosing what food to eat, you need to choose. You need to think about how it's going to nourish you, and also how it's going to nourish your gut microbiota. Because there, there are certain foods that are much more important in terms of nourishing us that we're actually able to digest and absorb. And then right. there are other foods that we, as you, as you mentioned, we don't actually digest and absorb those carbohydrates. But that doesn't mean they're not tremendously valuable the, the bacteria and other microbes are digesting and absorbing those complex polysaccharides and then they're turning those into compounds like short chain fatty acids and and other right. molecules that as you pointed out can escape the that can lead to changes systemically throughout the body the gut brain axis and the relationship between the gut and the brain and there's even as I'm sure you know, a lot of research now that suggests that depression and anxiety could be primarily gut 
disorders that that inflammation in the that originates in the gut suppresses activity in the frontal cortex and ends up causing all of the telltale symptoms of depression so it's pretty exciting time you know that we get to better understand all this stuff and then to have these natural organisms that we can uh, fungi that we can use to actually modulate our health in a really powerful way yeah and there there's so much availability out there that's that's the other thing paleo valley's beef sticks are definitely one of my favorite snacks they're unlike anything else on the market they're made from 100 percent grass-fed and grass-finished beef and organic spices and they are naturally fermented which gives them this really amazing flavor in fact they were recently voted in paleo magazine as one of the top snacks of the year one reason I love Paleo Valley is that they're committed to making the highest quality whole food products that are free of junk ingredients. They're compact and easy to take on the go, especially when I'm out in the mountains and away from civilization. Go to paleovalley.com chris and use the code CRESSER15 to get 15% off. Maintaining a healthy gut is one of the most important things we can do to protect our health and extend our lifespan. Sadly, our gut health is under constant assault in the modern world, thanks to a growing toxic burden, highly processed and refined foods, antibiotics and other medications, chronic stress, and more. That's why living a gut-healthy lifestyle is so critical. And one of the most powerful ways to do that is to consume bone broth on a regular basis. I've been a huge believer in bone broth for more than 20 years, way back before it was cool, celebrities talked about it, and you could find it in the grocery store. I have bone broth almost every day, either in soups, as a base for sauces and stews, or just heated in a cup. My favorite brand of bone broth is Kettle and Fire for a few reasons. Number one, they have the highest quality ingredients with grass-fed and finished beef bones and organic pasture-raised chicken bones. Number two, they simmer the broth for 24 hours, which makes it far more beneficial to our health, and just like the bone broth I used to make at home. Number three, it's the best tasting broth you can buy, and they have multiple flavor options, so I never get bored. If you'd like to try it, you can save 20% with the coupon code CRESSER. Just go to kettleandfire.com, that's kettle and fire, all one word, dot com, and use the code CRESSER at checkout to save 20% off your entire order. So let's talk a little bit about the you know, so the beta-glucans, I mean, you go into tremendous detail on this in your book, which I really appreciate it because I'm a, a, a geek and I like to um, learn about this kind of stuff. But uh, it sounds like beta-glucans, you know, from my research and from reading your book, they're, they're one of the, most, the primary uh, actions that they're being studied for uh, is as an immunomodulator. So they really activate innate immune cells like macrophages, dendritic cells, granulocytes, natural killer cells, and then they can trigger the effector cells like CD4 plus and CD8 plus and kind of patrol the blood, sense potential pathogens, and prime our immune system for a more effective response, which I think has, over the past couple of years, has become really obvious why that's important for all of us. Right. Yes, uh, that's absolutely right. There, there's a, and um, as you mentioned, the beta glucans and, and to a minor degree, the chitin 
is one of the main things you think of when you think of the therapeutics of medicinal mushrooms is immunomodulation, anti-cancer, anti-bacterial, or you know, just anti-infective uh, actions of, of medicinal mushrooms. So that's probably one of the first things that you think of when you, when you really think of the nuts and bolts um, biological activity. But the other really big piece of that is that this has been so widely studied throughout the world. There are literally thousands and thousands of research papers on the action of the beta-glucans in about at least 50 species of fungi all over the world, especially in Japan, China, but other places as well. So there, there is an incredibly deep scientific um, literature and research, uh, body of research on the, the medicinal effects of, uh, of beta-glucans and how it affects our immune system. I mean, all the, all the ins and outs of it, how deep you want to go uh, down to the t level of, of T cells and B cells and so forth, as you mentioned. Uh, so, so it's pretty, it's pretty um, exciting. Don't forget that yeast also is a, is a mushroom, and, and there are some studies showing that, that yeast supplementation can also activate that uh, immune response. The other big, I think, advantage of beta-glucans or other biological activity group is uh, anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, lion mane and, and chaga both uh, their beta-glucans have been studied for easing gut inflammation, like, for instance, gastritis or gastric ulcer, things like that. Uh, so that's been well studied. And those two species are widely used in Russia and in China uh, for easing stomach dis distress. That's probably the number one thing that lion's mane is used for in China, is for stomach distress and GI distress because of its powerful soothing and anti-inflammatory effects. Right. Okay, so we've got, you know, mushrooms, they're a great source of some essential nutrients. They're the best source, I think the highest source is turkey tail and, and reishi. 60% uh, in, yeah. in turkey tail and, and about 55% in reishi. Right. Which I, I, you know, I know that there, there are, of course, other sources of beta glucan in the diet, but none that are that high as a percentage of, of the weight of that food that, I, that I'm aware of. Well, not um, fungal beta glucan. All right. fungus has fungal beta glucan. These are highly branched and impossible for us to digest in the upper, upper respiratory or upper digestive tract. You know, other grains have beta glucans as well, but they, are, they, aren't, the, they aren't highly branched. They're more linear, and they don't have the immunomodulating and anti-inflammatory right. effects that fungal beta-glucans do. They act more as just a typical soluble fiber uh, acts. Yeah, they have some yeah, benefit primarily. for the gut flora, but not as not as potent in terms of their immunomodulatory effects. That's no, but they do have some anti-inflammatory effects. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we also, you also mentioned the, another component, which are phenolic compounds and terpenes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, action of those compounds in mushrooms. And are they found in all mushrooms in similar amounts, or are there some mushrooms that are higher in those compounds than others? The terpene, well, first of all, the beta-glucans, by the way, are, are in various levels in each species. So not every species is gonna have the same amount of beta-glucans, we kind of mentioned that. But even all edible mushrooms like shiitake, porcini, uh, chanterelle, 
all of those that you might find out in the woods, those all have a significant amount of beta-glucans. So wild mushrooms also have, and also ones that you would buy in the store have beta-glucans in them. Uh, as far as the, the terpenes go, so they are irregular, but there's still a significant amount of, of beta-glucans in all fungi. Whereas uh, with terpenes, that's a completely different category of uh, compounds. Those have um, a variety of biological effects, a wide variety of biological effects. And they're typically found either uh, to a lesser degree, they're found as monoterpenes, which are C10 compounds. Those are smaller terpene molecules, which have uh, are volatile oftentimes and have an aroma. So some mushrooms have a a, a volatile terpene kind of smell, and those can be set, have a sedative effect on the on the nervous system. Then you get the, the diterpenes, and those are those are C20, a 20 carbon molecules. So those are bigger. Those are not typically vo volatile, um, and those are best characterized by the diterpenes, ericinone and aranacine in lion's mane. And those compounds are in a pretty high concentration, about 5% to dry weight basis. And, and those compounds are pretty exclusively found in the, in the genus Hericium, uh, which are the lion's mane. And um, so those, those have been shown to have um, mood, uh, mood uh, altering or mood, mood modulating effects. Uh, there have been a couple of clinical trials showing that it can help people with anxiety or depression. Uh, ease that a bit. Uh, it's not a drug, remember. Uh, so they, if they're eaten regularly, then it's going to have a much stronger effect. I had a patient with essential tremor syndrome who, you know, we, we did a lot of different things and got some help and benefit from various interventions. But the thing that actually almost completely stopped the tremor was lion's mane. So it's, it's been studied for nerve, nerve regenerating and neurogenerative effects as well. It has, yes. And, and there is, there's some really good research. But however, uh, having said that, the, the, um, the nerve growth factor, which is a chemical that we produce to stimulate the growth of new neurons, it's been shown that, that a number of mushrooms, including lion's mane, is probably the best studied, have neurogenic properties. Uh, however, that's all laboratory research. Remember, there, there are no clinical trials to support that. However, a lot of people are picking up on that and trying it. So that's really good. We, we're having this big, because it's, it's a food. It's a, it's a very uh, safe uh, medicine to use. It's a food medicine. So definitely we can experiment with that. And, and if you do have like nerve damage or nerve injury, uh, then, or nerve inflammation, it's very much worth a try as a supplement or a powder. Absolutely. No, no real downside there. Uh, so you mentioned monoterpenes, diterpenes that are primarily found in lion's mane, and then there are... Uh, triterpenes. Uh, tri tri count, countless triterpenes, right? And, countless and triterpenes. Yeah. Triterpenes are, are more widespread in mushrooms than... Um, for first of all, ergosterol, which is the precursor for uh, vitamin D, is found in all mushrooms as part of the cell wall that, that adds fluidity. It's kind of a lipid type substance. When you get a compound that big, it, it turns out that it's not water soluble anymore. It's a, more of a lipid, lipophilic compound. 
So there is, yes, there's a massive variety of triterpenes found at, both in the glycoside form, which the, the mushroom might attach a sugar to it so that it can more freely move around the, the water-based environment inside the fungi. Also the same in plants, those are called glycosides. Uh, or it could be just as the aglycone, just this is a, just a plain triterpene. These compounds have, an, well, they definitely have been incredibly well studied in reishi. So this is one of the main active components of reishi mushrooms. And, uh, and there are just a vast, vast amount of, of different ones in there. So each species, there are a number of different species that can be used for a reishi-like mushroom. Each species might have a different kind of mixture of triterpenes. And that's why it's interesting to try different ones you know, and see how they work. Triterpenes are very well known as anti-inflammatories, and but also immune modulators. So they do add to the immune modulation of, uh, of the beta-glucan. So definitely um, very strong anti-inflammatory, uh, also antioxidant, anti-nociceptive, uh, pain, pain relieving. Right. Uh, blood sugar, metabolic effects. Blood sugar regulation, liver uh, support, uh, hepatoprotective. Yeah. Those are some, only some of the, the many. I mean, if you read a list of, uh, which I have in my slideshow, of all the different biological activities that have been shown with um, mush, with reishi triterpenes, it, it's a long, long list. Yeah. So, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll quote from one passage from your book. It's anti-cancer, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, liver protective, anti-obesity, blood sugar regulating, and antimicrobial effects, to name a few. So it yeah. sounds too good to be true, right? It's, it's just like a <laughs> remarkable spectrum of activity. It is. And that's so, why it's used for, for such a wide variety of of ailments in China for literally over 2000 years. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something you said about the antioxidant properties, because I wasn't aware of this. I learned when I read your book that the antioxidant potential of mushrooms is much higher than in the most commonly eaten fruits and vegetables that people typically think of as having a high antioxidant value. Now, that was right. news to me. I, 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 I didn't, you know, I knew mushrooms had a lot of beneficial properties, but antioxidant property wasn't, you know, I didn't think of them as, as really uh, potent antioxidants until I learned that from your book. Right. That's one of the many facets of reishi, but you know, quite a few other species have triterpenes too. Mm -hmm. A lot of the conchs like Bolinus and, and uh, for instance, uh, uh, Fuling. Uh, yeah. Ling has a lot of triterpenes in it. Uh, chaga has some, uh, but probably most mushroom species have some triterpenes in them. Turkey tail definitely has triterpenes. So I, I want to, um, I mean, this has been fascinating, so helpful to really understand like all of the different um, medicinal effects that, that mushrooms can have. And it's, it's also particularly fascinating, I think, to understand how those effects can differ across different mushrooms. So eating a number of different species of, of mushrooms or, diff, you know, different types of mushrooms will give you different benefits. You know, some mushrooms are much higher in beta-glucan. Others might be higher in certain types of terpenes or specific terpenes right. that are, you know, going to give you a particular benefit that you're looking for. And cordyceps has amines. Right. 
Right. Cordyceps have amines, which can affect our nervous system. So cordyceps, let's talk a little bit about that because it, I, <laughs> I find it, it's just such a fascinating organism substance, I guess, if you will. Really is. Tell people what cordyceps is to begin with, because um, that's the fun part. <laughs> and then we can talk a little bit about the unique health benefits of cordyceps. Yes, uh, cordyceps is in its original form. Here's a bag here I can show you. I'll take some out. These are all individual fruiting bodies here. Yeah. And they each one of them is attached to an insect. These were grown in culture, so they don't they aren't attached to insects. This is the part up here that that produces the spores. And this is the whole fruiting body. So they have a kind of a nice odor actually. And these can be used for cooking. It, this so so there are two two main species that that we should uh, quickly discuss, and that is the first one is is Cordyceps sinensis. Yeah. Cordyceps sinensis is basically composed of a moth caterpillar um, that lives in the Tibetan highland uh, underground for three years, and so when the larva hatches, it kind of feeds on roots on underground, and uh, then after three years, some of them become infected with cordyceps, some don't. Cordyceps is in the soil. And many other organisms are in the soil too. So some of them are infected by cordyceps sinensis, which seems to be like the caribou and the wolf. So the, the, the cordyceps sinensis job is to take out and basically digest the, the ones that it somehow senses are not very fit for the population. So it takes it. So it basically invade, it infects them in the soil, invades them, and then before it kills the 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 the, um, the larvae, it actually changes its neurochemistry so that the caterpillar moves up towards the surface and orients itself just below the surface, and then the, the fruiting body projects out of the top of the head of the of the moth uh, caterpillar. So if that's not freaky enough for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would sometimes explain this to patients and they're like, there's no way I'm going to take that. <laughs> or, or, But then once you explain the benefits, I, I got some to come around. So yeah, I, it's always fascinating to talk about that. Um, cordyceps, of course, in, in Chinese medicine and other systems of traditional medicine has a long history of use as a tonic. Uh, for sexual health and vitality, well-being, energy levels, and it's used in some traditional cultures for uh, athletic performance and recovery. And I think there are right. even some some limited amount of modern research that that supports that use as well. But it seems to me of of a lot of the mushroom species that that we talk about, cordyceps has some unique benefits in that regard. Like seems to be particularly targeted in that direction. Perhaps because of the amines that are found in there, uh, perhaps because of, of terpenes in there that contribute, and of course the beta glucans. But then this is the other species. This is Cordyceps militaris. Militaris, yeah. And this is the one that you should buy. You should not buy Cordyceps sinensis because there really are no, no authentic Cordyceps sinensis outside of going to Chinatown, buying the caterpillars and uh, you know, with the with the fruiting bodies coming out of their heads for hundreds of dollars. Right. So so just go ahead and focus on 
cordyceps militaris, they have many of the same benefits as cordyceps sinensis. And I've tested them myself in the laboratory for authenticity with DNA. And um, they've the products that I've tested have been pretty authentic. They, they are uh, cordyceps militaris. So that's right. what that's and the way so, to go. And if someone's uh, taking a mushroom supplement or something like that, it's going to be cordyceps militaris and, and not cordyceps sinensis. Just right. So it took us a while to, to get that all straightened out in the industry, yeah. but now I think it's pretty, yeah. pretty settled. Great. Well, I'd love to finish by maybe um, asking you for some tips for someone who wants to get started with mushroom um, foraging and you know, doing it in a safe way. How can they learn more about that? I'd love to you know, you talk a little bit about your book as a resource, but for those who are interested, it's a great, like you said, a great way to get out into the forest and, you know, collect your own food and get a little bit more intimate with that whole process. So, you know, how can folks get started with this? Well, get my book. Yep. Get my book for one thing. Uh, put a link to it in the show notes. It's Christopher Hobbs, Medicinal Mushrooms, The Essential Guide for those of you who are listening. Uh, and can I also say, check into my website because I have a lot of stuff on there. Medicinal Mushroom Wise, www.christopherhobbs.com, easy to remember. And I don't have David Aurora's book up here, unfortunately. Here's, by the way, here's the German edition. Oh, cool. Just came out, the German edition. Nice. So uh, with, uh, your, your book has fantastic information about the benefits of mushrooms, the history of the, uh, and then also information about how to prepare mushrooms, how to eat them, how to make uh, tinctures, extracts, and which mushrooms are better to cook and eat because they have a better flavor, which mushrooms tend to be very bitter or chewy. And, you know, you might want to do other, th uh, uh, make them into, uh, an extract or something else. How to grow them, of course. How to grow them, yeah. How to so, identify toxic ones, though you should get a good feel guide as well. Mine isn't a uh, an absolute end of the line um, ID book, so. That's what I was gonna ask. Like, I know a lot of people are nervous about that and you know, rightfully so, you can definitely get, I think a substantial percentage of calls that go into to toxin, you know, poison toxin hotlines are from mushrooms. So there is some risk. So the, you know, the books I recommend are first and foremost as a field guide is David Aurora's All That Rain Promises and More. That is a fantastic book. There, there's nothing better, easy to put in your pocket. Uh, it's, he, he's got decades and decades of experience. He shows you the toxic lookalikes. He really does go into depth on the edibles. He doesn't touch on medicinals too much but he really will give you some really good basic information. And then beyond that, that's a general guide for all over the country. But I, what I recommend is, is looking for your local field guide. So it makes it easier to, to identify. Don't try to get the like mushrooms of the, of the United States. You're better off getting mushrooms of the Northwest United States or Northeast or, or whatever, wherever you are. Try to find your regional mushroom guide, which has pictures. And also then uh, join a mushroom society or club. Uh, we have so many in California here. Every, they're so, you know, they're, and they're more popping up all the time. So join a local mushroom club or society if you can go on some forays. There are usually some, some really seasoned mushroom hunters out there and 
can identify your, your collections. Uh, there should be also mushroom fairs. We have a number of mushroom gatherings and fairs where you can bring your mushrooms in and have them identified or look for local walks, even with one individual that's well seasoned. So right. get some direct, direct um, you know, hands-on stuff going on with, with someone who really knows what they're doing. That's important. That's really, really helpful. Um, so for last question, I'm going to ask you, if you had to pick only three mushrooms, both for medicinal value, and, well, let's separate it. What, what would be your top three for medicinal value? Well, that's easy. One, two, three, reishi, turkey tail, and psilocybin. Cool. Yeah, we'll have to do another show on psilocybin because that's I'm also very interested in that and the the psycho spiritual, emotional, and and even physical benefits of psilocybin. How about for eating? Top three um, culinary mushrooms. Porcini is definitely the number one. Porcini, but then beyond that, you know, I love chanterelles. I love candy caps. Uh, there, there are just so many good edibles out there. Shiitake, I mean, I'm in love with shiitake. So those are my handful is porcini, shiitake, uh, and chanterelles. Those are three that, you know, I love oysters too. So there, there are probably 10 really well-known edibles. And that's another class of just talking about the, the 10 top edibles and how to prepare them and how to find them and so forth. That's right. That's another class. Okay. Well, well I, I uh, definitely would love to have you come back and, and talk about uh, psilocybin on another show. And I think the audience would love that too. So uh, again, Can I mentioned my upcoming class series. Yeah, please do. We have a lot of listeners in California and the Bay Area. Okay, I'm, I'm doing a, I'm really, really delighted to be doing a, se a seven week uh, medicinal mushroom course, A to Z, everything you really uh, would like to know in depth PowerPoints uh, and a big Q&A uh, period at the end. Uh, so that's one of the biggest benefits of doing it live. And it's, it's not in, in person, it's live on Zoom. And, and it's just, uh, we did it last year. It was totally incredible. And so I hope you can join us. It's through the Botanic Wise Network, B-O-N-T-A-N-I-C, Botanic Wise Network. And, and, or you could just search for me and Seven Week Medicinal Mushroom Course, which is coming up. It's going to be in late June and July. Uh, and then I wanted to mention also that I'm doing a, a seven-part psilocybin course that is going to be everything you ever wanted to know about psilocybin, including how it works in the body, the clinical trials, how to become a guide, how to work with a guide, uh, how to find them, uh, how to grow them and dry them, everything you would want to know, how to microdose. All of that is going to be covered in my seven-week course with the SHIFT network. So... Look for that in August and September. Fantastic. And are these on your website as well? Uh, they will be on my, my social media, which is, uh, so follow me on Facebook and on, especially on Facebook and Instagram, which I'm, you know, posting on Instagram quite a bit. Great. Dr. Yeah. Christopher Hobbs. And, and again, highly recommend Christopher's book, Christopher Hobbs, Medicinal Mushrooms, The Essential Guide. Uh, I've, 
I've read it twice and it's a phenomenal resource for all things mushrooms from, like I said, understanding their medicinal value to understanding how to cook and prepare them and, and make medicine out of them. So Christopher, it's been a fascinating conversation. I'm so grateful for your time. You're a wealth of knowledge uh, on this topic and look forward to having you back to talk about psilocybin in the future. Thanks, Chris. Much appreciate the invitation and and your your good uh, questions and 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 interaction. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate Great. it and hope to be back another time. Look forward to it. Okay, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Keep sending your questions to chriscresser.com/podcastquestion. When I find a company that I love and I think you'll love, I do my best to support it and help it grow. Sometimes that means just getting the word out through my podcast, emails, and social media channels. And other times that means investing in the company or joining their advisory board. If you're hearing this message, it means that I'm either an investor or advisory board member of a company that is mentioned in this podcast episode. I only invest in or advise companies with a mission and products that I truly believe in. And I hope you benefit from learning more about them and how their products can improve your life. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.